Hey, you're listening to the Upper Room Podcast. To learn more about Upper Room, please visit URDallas.com. Last Sunday night, um, the Lord spoke to me in the service uh, just about this word, and I got up and fired it, and it really, it really uh, landed. And, and it landed because I believe it's what the Lord was speaking to us. And so I want to frame it maybe a little differently than I have the last couple of times that I've shared it. Uh, but I, I feel this is uh, a word that we had in, in pre-service prayer. It was just alignment, like a chiropractor just aligning a spine. And, uh, and, and I, I want to address a spirit that I believe is operating in our culture. Um, it's seducing us. It's um, ever-present. It's on CNN. It's on your social media feed. Um, and it is, it is, I believe, the assigned principality over the West. Um, in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel's interceding, and he was praying and fasting for 21 days. And, and, and this, this angel, um, we don't know who it was. Some people actually think it was Jesus. But we know that a heavenly being shows up in answer to Daniel's prayer, which is amazing revelation that if you're praying for something, heaven's listening and sending resources. Just because they're not answered immediately doesn't mean things aren't happening because the angel comes and gives this, 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 this revelation about what's happening in the heavenlies and he was warring in the heavenlies with the prince of Persia, which is a principality in the third heaven as he was coming down, this wrestling match takes place. And he gives him this advice in Daniel chapter 10, verse 20. He warns Daniel and he warns him of another prince. And the prince that he warns him of is the prince of Greece. So this is what he says. He says, then he understands. Then he said, do you understand why I came to you? But I shall now return to fight against the prince of Persia. So I am going forth and behold, the prince of Greece is about to come. So these are two principalities that we see in the book of Daniel. And I believe they're actually threaded throughout uh, the Bible. Because if you take Israel, Israel is uh, or Jerusalem, the, the capital of Israel, which is God's chosen nation. And if you take these two principalities, Persia is east of Jerusalem. It is modern-day Iran. Does everyone know that? So there's a principality over Persia, which is still there today. On the eastern side, there's a principality over the east. And then he says the prince of Greece is still coming. Now, Greece is about the same distance as Persia or Iran from Jerusalem, but it's on the western side. And I believe, I, I, when I had this revelation, I was with the Lord, and I, I, like, I just had this image that I was above the earth, and I saw this, this real thin veil covering the earth. One was on the east, one was on the west. And there was an eastern principality and a western principality. And threaded throughout Scripture, I see these two principalities at play. They're at play today. They're at play in our culture. We face the western one. And in the book of Revelation, those two characters, those two characters in the end times are called the beast, which is the eastern principality. And what's the western principality called? Anyone? The great harlot. The great harlot. And, and I, I, I don't want I, I to teach about these two principalities today, but I want to talk about the, 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 the Grecian or western principality and her influence today because it's mounting and surging and I want to help equip you to war to war well and to fight well and to know that the influence of our culture has a purpose and it's to undermine your testimony it is to undermine the power of your testimony it's to take your life from you it is a spiritual battle What's playing out on CNN, what's playing out on Capitol Hill this week, albeit it's in the political realm, it is about souls. Listen, Jesus isn't into issues, Jesus is into people. And he's into issues that affect people, but he does not put issues above people. Jesus is into people. And the political spirit doesn't care what issue you're in as long as you're against people. We've got to be careful because, listen, the church is getting intoxicated with this spirit. It's subtle how it happens. It's a little leaven, and then it starts to permeate the heart. And I felt today the Lord wants to cleanse us from her influence in this room. I really felt it in my heart. Like, I just felt it, felt it, felt it. And so the, the influence of, of 
the influence of her, um, and <clears throat> so I, I believe I believe the eastern the eastern influence it, it shows up. I believe how it's going to manifest its head. The ugliest part of it is: uh, Are we streaming? We are. Um, <laughs> It's a religious battle. It's a religious battle. And, and I believe, uh, let me just talk about the West. I won't talk about the East. The West, though, the harlot, this is how she manifests her influence. It's through openness. It's through an ultra-liberal agenda that's secular. It's humanistic. And it's this intoxication with self. It's through greed and lust that deception comes. It plays itself in the political realm. And it's, 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 synchron, it's synchronatic or syncretism, which is this blending or melting mush pot of truth. It's like whatever your truth is is fine with you. Whatever my truth is, it's fine with me. But the truth is, is that there's no truth. And it's like this tolerance that we're going to be tolerant towards everything except those that actually have an opinion that's different than mine, then I'm not going to be tolerant towards you. And, and it's just this polarizing divide that's penetrating our country and it's growing exponentially in every season. And, and and she has an agenda. She has an agenda. And so... Um, the agenda plays itself out primarily through um, immorality, specifically through sexual immorality. Her, 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 her greatest, her descriptions throughout scripture are, are uh, the harlot in, the, in, 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 uh, in Revelation, but she's also known as Jezebel. She's an actual character in the Old Testament, and she she is married to a king who is compromised, and so she, she actually targets men and women of influence through manipulation and control. And it's a spirit that, 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 that actually affects the way you think. It affects the way you see. It affects things that you hear, and she, she's mind-binding. And she wants to bind you. She wants to influence you. She wants to intoxicate you. And that's found in Revelation chapter 17. Can, I, can we look at that really quickly? Come on, I know it's Sunday morning. We're talking about the harlot and the beast. <laughs> Woo! This is going to be a good morning. <laughs> it's so good though, man. This is with me saying, come here and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits upon the many waters. Her sitting upon the many waters is her sitting upon the influence of mankind. She is influential upon the earth. That's what the many waters represent. With whom the kings of the earth, so those that are in authority, commit acts of immorality and those who dwell on the earth were made drunk with the wine of her immorality. So again, this is the great harlot. She's offering a cup that the kings of the earth and those who dwell on the earth are drinking and they are under her influence. If I were to serve, well, actually, how many of you had espresso today? How many of you had some type of coffee, you had caffeine? Okay, why do we drink? Yeah, amen, I'm glad you did. You can listen to my sermon. Uh, well and attentively because you're under the influence of caffeine. It wakes you up, right? I mean, you would wake up, you're groggy, you do your pour over, your Keurig, whatever it is, and man, you pop that inside, you get it flowing through your blood, and you then awaken because you are under the influence of that substance. Same with wine, same with anything, and John is using that analogy when he's talking about this person or this entity, saying that those who dwell on the earth are actually intoxicated with her immorality. Now, the word for immorality is porneo. Everyone say porneo. It's where we get the, Greek, it's where we get the word pornography. 
So if you think about what pornography represents in our society, that is the influence of the harlot. Like seen for who she is, pornography is that. And pornography is dominating our culture. Pornography is, it is, and this isn't, it's just, it is. It is an assignment that the enemy has to seduce and to gain control of your mind and to gain control of your heart. And there's a purpose. There's a purpose. I'm going to show you her purpose for the church here in the scripture. There's a wine of her immorality. And verse 3, he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on the scarlet beast. So here's the beast. So the, actually, it's interesting. In the end times, the beast and the harlot actually will come together. Um, full of blasphemous names, having seven heads and seven horns. Verse four, the woman was clothed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and of the unclean things of her immorality. So here's the cup that those dwelling on the earth are drinking from. They're drinking from a cup that, that is, it is attractive on the outside. It looks good to the eye. She actually looks good to the eye because she's adorned with things. But you see her name, she's called for what she is, Babylon, Babylon the great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. And then verse six is what I wanna show you. So as the earth is intoxicated with her drink, she's intoxicated with something else and it's found in verse six. And I saw the woman who is the harlot, Porneo, and she was under the influence, she's drunk with, she is being overcome by what she is drinking and she is drinking the blood of the saints. What is the blood of the saints? The blood of the saints is the actual life of the church. She comes to take the life or the blood of the witness, which is the testimony that we've been given. Her assignment is to undermine you and to undermine the authority that the Holy Spirit wants to empower you to walk in so that you can be a sign and a wonder to a generation that is intoxicated with her immoralities. This, this, is, this is real. It is a matter of life and death. It is a matter of destiny, purpose. It is a matter. That we need to be sobered by. I believe the Lord wants to grip a generation with a fear of him. I believe he wants to cleanse us in Psalms 24. It says who may ascend the hill of the Lord. There's an invitation that he's given. He says, those who have clean hands and pure hearts. It says, this is the generation that seek his face. And I believe a generation is arising. And I believe there's a generation that's gathering at the upper room. I believe that our house, listen, it's not... It's not about our house, it really isn't, but I believe there's an assignment that we have to equip a generation to ascend this hill and to stand in the most holy place, but you need to know that it's those that have clean hands and pure hearts that ascend. Now listen, the blood of Jesus is what cleanses us. The blood of Jesus is what has set us free. It is not by work so that no man can boast, but Jesus has provided all that we need to live life of godliness, of holiness, of being consecrated and set apart. And I just want to preach like very boldly and directly to those that are under the influence of this spirit Because I believe if you have taken a sip or if you're chugging a full glass, whatever it looks like for you in dealing with her, I want you to take heart because the reason that's coming against you is because the enemy sees what's within. And if you can awaken to what he's placed within you, then you will set aside and wage war You'll wage war. You'll wage war against the lust of the flesh. There is so much at hand this morning in this room. (laughs) 
And as your pastor and leader and a father in this house, I want to equip you and empower you to live above her and actually to wage war to help set other people free from this thing. Holiness is not legalism. It's not. Holiness is the result of you understanding that the Holy One lives within you. Holiness is the result of people who are beholding the Holy One. And the... the, the the thing, that, the thing that the Lord's been hitting me with in these regards, because I want to give you practical tools to like really live victorious above this thing, but, but the thing that the Lord has been really hitting me with uh, over the last seven days is the power of your eyes and the power of what you're beholding with your physical eyes. Because I believe that she operates through these first and foremost. She wants to entice, she wants to tempt, she wants to allure, she wants to seduce by what you see. In fact, Jezebel in 2 Kings chapter 9 verse 30, Jezebel had dominated the land. She had set up uh, these altars to Baal, which I won't get into Baal worship, but Baal worship is still alive today. It's it's, 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 this, it's a sexual immor- immoral offering, and it's being enslaved to sexual immorality. And so Jehu was anointed king. I love Jehu. Man, if we were going to have another kid, I'd name him Jehu. <laughs> we need to name a kid Jehu in our house. Jehu was a wild man. Jehu. I mean, he just sounds like a bad dude. So Jehu was anointed king, and his first assignment is he went and he killed Jezebel's son, And then he rode to Jezreel. I I believe she lived in Jezreel. He rode straight there. And in 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 30, check this out. Jezebel hears that Jehu, the anointed one, is coming. And in 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 30, it's a really good text. In 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 20, it says this. It says, when Jehu came to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it, and she painted her eyes and adorned her head to look out the window. She painted her eyes. Well, she put a lot of makeup on. She put on her best dress. She did her hair up. And she's looking out the window, and this window is actually in a tower. She's looking out a window, She sets herself on high, and she's looking down at the anointed one. And this is the place that I saw she has in some of your lives. That she's exalted herself through your mind and your thinking. She's influenced you over time. And she's positioned herself through adornment, through seduction, through your flesh. And she's positioned in this place. But I believe this morning... What Jehu does to her, we're going to do to this spirit that's influencing. And listen to this. This is awesome. Because Jehu shows up. Again, he's a bad man. But Jamba, she loves to work through those that are in influence. She, she operates through the political realm. Honestly, you're going to see it play out so clearly in the coming days. And look at this. In 31, Jehu entered the gate. He enters the gate. She said, is it well... Uh, Zimri, which is, she's actually kind of belittling him through that comment. Your master's murderer, mentioning of the fact that he had just killed her, her son. And then in verse 32, look at what Jehu does. He lifted up his face to the window and said, who is on my side? Who? And two of the three officials looked down at him. And in verse 33, he said, throw her down. So they threw her down from the tower, and it was a brutal death. Her blood was sprinkled on the wall and on the horses, and he trampled her underfoot. She was tossed down from her high place. 
He didn't, have a, he didn't converse with her. He didn't engage her. He didn't even acknowledge her. He said, throw her out. And this morning, I want to look to the window that is your eye and where you're being influenced by this demonic spirit. I want to serve notice to that spirit that her influence ends today. And I want you to have a heightened awareness, sobering awareness, the power of your eyes and the power of what you behold with your eyes. And I want to show you that in the Bible. Is that cool? We've talked about the great harlot. We've thrown Jezebel off her tower. It's a productive morning so far. I'm bringing levity, though, to a very, very, very weighty subject this morning. Some of your marriages are influenced by this. Single people. If you don't get freed of her influence, you will drag that nasty thing into your marriage. I watch single people all the time when they start getting close to covenant, like they just start manifesting. And it shows up in weird, weird ways, but oftentimes it's because they did not protect the garden of their heart from this influence, and it will dominate your relationships. You don't think it will, but it will. The end game for the spirit of lust, the end game for her is death and Hades. It is Sheol itself, and it wants to drag you, your relationships, your destinies into the pit that she dwells in. But we have to be sober and aware. Luke chapter 11, verse 34. Check out this scripture. Your eye is the lamp that provides light for your body. Everyone touch your eyes. If you have eyes, the Bible says, whether you believe this or not, it's true. Your eyes, your two eyes are a lamp to your body. Now put your, put your hands like this. This is your body. So your body is lit up through your eyes. Your eyes are a lamp to your body. Whatever is within you comes forth from these two organs. Does everyone see this? Your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad, your body is filled with darkness. This is the scripture. Verse 35 is what I want the Holy Spirit to illuminate to you today. Make sure that that light you think you have, make sure that light you think you have is not actually darkness. Meaning, make sure that you're not deceived this morning. Make sure that light that you think you have is not actually darkness. Verse 36. If you are filled with light, with no dark corners, then your whole life will be radiant as though a floodlight were filling you with light. You are called to be a child of light. Now, everyone would agree with this, but the means to this reality, the way to this reality, the avenue to this reality is through your eyes. It's through your eye gate. Gates are important for cities. If a gate is secure, the city is secure. But if the gate is burned down, if the gate is compromised, the entire city is compromised. And I feel in my heart that some of us, our gates are compromised. Our gates have been given just a little bit of authority over to this influence. Therefore, there are corners in your life, and there is no neutral ground in this battle. Jesus paid for all of you, and he wants you to be free. He wants you to be whole. He wants you to live victoriously, but we have to understand the power of 
our eyes and what we behold. Because listen, you can listen to sermons by me till you're blue in the face. You can listen to sermons on YouTube from your favorite preachers. You can listen to upper room worship all you want. You can quote scripture. You can renew your mind. You can do all the things you need to do. But if you're lingering in the wrong places with your eyes, you're in trouble. Like it is, it is such a simple yet crucial thing, your eyes, what you behold, what you put before them. And as a father and pastor and leader and overseer of your soul, I, I just, man, I want to plead with you that we ask the Holy Spirit to search us. We ask the Holy Spirit to know us and to see if there's any offensive, dark places that he's jealous to put his hands upon. Let me show you the power of eyes in a negative sense here really quickly. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world nor the things in this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And this is the love of the world. For all that is in the world, the, there's three things he mentions. The lust of the flesh and the lust of the what? eyes. He specifically mentions the eyes, the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life. It's not from the Father, but it's of this world. Now, I believe the lust of the flesh, it, it, it is fed through the eyes. I believe they're very interlinked and interconnected, and I, I don't want to teach on that, but I just want to show you that this specifically mentions the eyes. Got it? In Genesis chapter 3, when Satan tempts Eve, he actually lies to her and says, listen, if you eat this, God knows that your eyes will be open and you'll know the difference between good and evil. And then it says she saw that the apple was appealing and she bit it. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 20. It's a really good scripture. It says, Sheol and Abaddon. Those are two Hebrew words. Sheol means death and Abaddon means destruction. So death and destruction are never satisfied, nor are the eyes of man ever satisfied. Meaning if you start to give this spirit any attention, if you start to feed your eyes on this world and the things of this world, the lust of the eyes will never, ever, ever be satisfied. It is an endless pursuit that will only grow in nature and appetite. It's that barking dog that you want to be quiet, but you keep feeding and it only grows. The only thing to do with a barking dog is to starve it and to quit feeding it. We'll talk about that here in a second. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 14, he's talking about false teachers, and this is how he described them, having eyes full of adultery. It was in their eyes that they were full of adultery that never cease from sin. Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 5, in addressing specifically adultery, he would say, You've, you have a... You've heard that it's written, you shall not commit adultery. But in verse 28, he says, but I say to you, and this is so, so crucial, especially for those that struggle with lust and pornography, I want to show you this. It says, but I say to you that everyone who, what's that word? Everyone say that word. Everyone who looks at a woman with lust. So looking precedes lusting. Anyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So a look produces lust and then lust affects the heart. The heart is defiled or made impure through the gaze. I just want you to see that. Does everyone see that? I believe that there's a connection to the eyes and the heart. I believe there's a connection to... Um, Purity or impurity and your eyes. The positive, the, the, the positive mention of this is Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, earlier in the Beatitudes. He said, blessed, 
Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. They will what? See God. So this is, this is kind of the reverse effect that if purity is within, your eyes will be able to see the Lord. Your purity and your eyes are interconnected. What came first, the chicken or the egg? I don't know. I believe, I believe it's the eyes. I, I, believe, I know that out from the heart come immoralities, but I believe one of the ways they get in is through what we behold with these. And so it is a simple, I believe, guard and focus to, to think about and be aware of what we're looking at. Because the truth is, is that you can struggle with your eyes and no one in this room knows. No one. But the Lord does. I love 1 John chapter 3. Am I, y'all like Bible? It's giving you a lot of scripture, so... I like 1 John chapter 3. It's amazing. He actually talks about the eyes, talking about the eyes and purity. This is one, man, <clears throat> this one got me freed. My late 20s, I, I ate on this. I like fed my heart this a lot. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not yet appeared what we will be, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him. Well, you go to verse 1. I like 1 too. I like the whole thing. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we're children of God, not, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. We love this scripture. I love this one. He's bestowed upon us love. We're children of God. And then verse two. Now that we're children of God, not appeared what we will be, but we know when he appears, we will be like him because we will what? There's that word. See him just as he is. So listen, he's talking about the hope of his return. And he says, listen, we know that when he appears, we will be just like him because we're created in his image. We will be like him. So we have this hope in our heart that Jesus is returning. Yes? We have a hope in our heart that there's a real man seated on a real throne that's going to return back to the earth and establish his kingdom on this earth. It's what possesses us, and it brings forth hope for our heart no matter what we're going through. And our hope is that we'll see him. This actually says it's not just a hope. We will see him just as he is in verse 3. This is so cool. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him, what hope? That he will return, that we will see him. Our hope is that we will see him. We have this hope fixed on him. We purify ourselves just as he's pure. There's a purification of the heart by seeing the end, by seeing the one that we one day will see. Woo! It's beholding him. And think about Jesus himself. Listen, think about Jesus himself. Revelation chapter 19 talks about his eyes. What are within his eyes? The one that will return, the one that we will see. And when we see him, we will be like him. The one that's in his eyes are flames of what? Fire. What is Jesus? He's an all-consuming. So the only thing that can satisfy your eyes that are unsatisfiable are the jealous all-consuming fire that's found in his eyes and beholding him. This so I want to get, I want to get practical. Uh, I want to get practical. Before I do, um, I, I, I want to show you, I want to show you uh, two, two instances. Actually, I'm not going to go to scriptures for time's sake, but there's two instances and I could probably list off a dozen um, where the eyes, the eyes cause someone to stumble. One is Potiphar's wife in Genesis chapter 39. Potiphar is looking at Joseph. And in 39, can you put, do you have these? Can you flow with me? 39.6. Um, it says, now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And then verse 7. It says, it came about after these events that his master's wife, what is that word? Looked with desire and said, lie with me. So it was from her eyes. I know oftentimes we relate to men, but this is with women too. With her eyes, she was beholding him. Now, I think she had this made-up fantasy about him and what life would be like with him, and it, it came forth in this exclamation of lie with me. But this lie with me was this false narrative that she had created probably through days and weeks of her looking at Joseph and measuring him up and just wanting to possess him. And it came out in these three words, and we know the story he runs because he wasn't feeding from that same trough. 
David was, though. <laughs> in 2 Samuel chapter 11, he had been eating something that wasn't right, because in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 2, when evening came, David arose from his bed. It's at night. He's walking on the roof. The verse before this said he was supposed to be at war. He's on the king's house, and from the roof, he what? He saw a woman bathing. Now, Jesus said, if you look at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. This played itself out because when he saw her, what he did with that image birthed adultery and ultimately murder in his heart. From his eyes, from this moment. He saw her, he paused. I don't know if they have binoculars, but if he could get them, he was using them and he was making up a story inside of him based on lust and feeding his heart that resulted in sin leading to death. It's the process of adultery. Now, I don't believe that this was just a moment when David all of a sudden fell into lust. I believe this exposed an issue in his heart that was left unchecked. I was with a pastor one time. He pastored a church of like 5,000 people in a small town. It was like 10 years ago. And, uh, and he, he fell. He fell morally. He fell morally. And listen, she will take out the mighty. Oh, how the mighty crumble under her influence. You're seeing it happen actually with this Me Too movement. And so he had fallen. He was offered a respite and kind of refuge at our church to get healed up and restored. And, uh, and I was young, single, and I remember we were passing by. I really didn't talk to him much, but I knew who he was. I knew what he had done. And he walked by, and he, he grabbed my shoulders, and he said, I never stopped looking. He said, control your eyes. So 30 years of his ministry, he didn't control his eyes, and in a season, everything crumbled. And truth be known, I don't know if he ever got restored. I know it at least happened two or three other times. I couldn't control my eyes. Crazy. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 24, it talks about her. Um, Proverbs 6 and 7 are really great reads. Tonight I'm going to unpack Proverbs chapter 7. Um, but Proverbs chapter 6 says, To keep you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress, verse 25. Um, Do not desire her beauty in your heart, nor let her capture you with her what? Eyelids. It's so interesting about the eyes. The eyes are so powerful to the window to the soul. Be careful what you own with him. You know, when I, was, when I struggled with lust and I was single, um, and it was, it, was a, it, was a, it was a temptation. If you know my story, I don't want to get too into it, but I, I was very broken sexually um, in my teenage years, and, and just this has been a journey for me, and I, I've, I know this. I know this restoration because God has restored my heart like significantly in this area. It's been amazing. But, but listen, when I, when, I used to, when I used to go places, I mean, my eyes were just wandering. And, 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 and I had a revelation one time. The Lord said, do you know why you like to make eye contact with, with specifically for me, women you did not know? I know. And he said, because it's a soul connection. The eye is the window to the soul. There's a soul, spirit, body connection is intertwined, intermixed. They put a fear of the Lord in me, like, whoa, I, I, what, what an offense it is before him who purchased my soul to offer it up in that way. And this says she wants to capture you with her eyelids. Keep going. For on the account of the harlot, one is reduced to a loaf of bread. That's not a good thing. And an adulteress hunts for the precious life. In Proverbs chapter 7, um, it continues about this story of a young man. It's worth reading. But in 7, it talks about the end game for her. Will you throw that up? 7, 24. Now, therefore, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Verse 25. Do not let her turn aside from your ways. Do not strafe into her paths. This is the end game. 
For many are the victims that she has cast down, and numerous are her slain. Verse 27, her house is the way to Sheol. Sheol is hell or death descending in the chambers of death. That's cray-cray. That should scare us. That should grip you. This is her end game for you, for your marriage, for your family. Listen, some of you, this is a major mile marker in your journey that's going to divert you from Sheol and death this morning. Because you're going to take authority of your temple by guarding your eyes. You following me? So let me give you a couple of practical things. Um, first, first and foremost, uh, first and foremost, I, I believe um, that, that without the power of the Spirit and without the grace of Jesus, we are all in trouble. That it's not by might, not by power, but it's by the Spirit and it's in your weakness that He's made strong and He wants to bestow grace upon you to live beyond your capabilities. And beyond your capabilities are actually living, sexually pure, holy, set apart, and consecrated. Listen, the bar isn't for you just not to touch and taste. The bar is for you to be above reproach and to live delivered from her influence. It's way beyond what you could do. And so some of us, we need to start by just admitting we're in over our heads. Some of us need to start admitting it's worse than I'm admitting. Some of us need to come to the ends of ourselves and say, this is a problem in my life. This is an issue. This is permeating my heart and it is stealing from me. And this morning, I am going to admit that I cannot help myself. This is where it begins. It doesn't begin with just reading a book about it, hearing a sermon. It begins with you laying your life before the only one that can empower you. His name's Jesus. He paid, he paid and purchased your life and he will bestow upon you by the power and authority of his word, by the Holy Spirit living in you through community like this, through living a lifestyle of beholding him regularly, he will empower you into a consecrated life where you come out from this world and you live set apart. But you have to start with brokenness, you have to start with getting honest, real, raw, First with yourself, then with the Lord, and then with those you walk with. I'm not talking about accountability. I'm talking about brokenness and repentance. We can get to accountability. I'm just talking about coming to the ends of ourself. Y'all okay? I also believe that, that we, have to feed, we have to feed our desires. We have to feed the right desires. It's a battle of desire. And for a long time when we talk about desire, we oftentimes in the church fight desire with discipline. Like we fight desire with duty. And this is me, man. I, 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 I'm a teenage kid. I'm, a, I'm created. I, I, this is good for teenagers to hear, actually. It's good, good, good. We need to have these conversations with our kids and soon. But as a teenage kid, no one was talking to me about my sexuality, but I, man, it was, it was hungry and it needed to be fed something. But it was this desire and I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know what to do with it. And so if I ever came clean or talked to someone, they're like, well, don't do that. Don't do this. You need to do this. You need to not do that. And it was all, and it was good stuff. And, and I believed I didn't need to do it. But what I was fighting is I was fighting teenage desire with self-discipline. And this is what the Lord showed me in my, in my late 20s. It really helped me. Is he said, son, I want you to fight desire with desire. And, and this is what he showed me. He showed me that he's the desire of the nations and that there's this desire for him and this fire and zeal that I was called to have for the Lord that actually outweighs any other desire. But because, but because I had been feeding and feeding this desire, it had suppressed and squelched and I was so malnourished here, I didn't even know I could have desire for the Lord like that. But listen, when you start to fight desire with desire, you have a fighting chance. Now, with desire, with desire, you get discipline. With desire, you start to, to put measures and, 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 and safeguards and things in your life to protect desire. 
to protect desire. But I want to fight desire with desire. That's why I want to provoke you, if you're struggling with this, I want to provoke you to know the beauty of Jesus and to know the, the brilliance and majesty of the man who saved you and loved you. I want you to know like who he is and that he is good and that he is loving and that he is powerful and he wants to clothe you with power and he wants to send you out to do awesome things for him and he has destiny and purpose and plans and like there's so much that he has for you. I want to provoke you into that and awaken your desires for him so that you can wage war against other desires that would hinder you from your true desire. Does this make sense? It's why I think, I think the house of prayer lifestyle, the morning, noon, and night with people, I'm not saying you got to be up here every day, all day, but I do think you regularly gathering in environments where the spirit of God is moving, where it's not just good preaching. It's not just like YouTube experiences, but you're in, you're, you're coming into an environment like this where the Holy Spirit is habitating and people are hosting God and ministering to him. When that starts to hit your heart regularly, you start living in this lifestyle, something awakens, something arises. Something comes alive and your eyes start to behold him and you get in this thing. You start, you start entering into fasting and praying and, and it's just like, oh, I can't wait to get in that room with others and just get in the fire and feel the burn in my heart for this man who gave it all for me. I want to give it all to him. Come on. Even as I'm saying it, some of you, it's like, oh. Oh, yeah, you know, that's what I'm talking about. That's what we've got to fan into and provoke. It's the zeal of the Lord for you. Let his zeal consume your temple. Let his zeal. Golly, it wasn't a small thing that he did. He came to the earth and hung bloody, beaten, naked on a cross for you. He took on that spirit of perversion and lust for you so that this morning you could be liberated, set into love, and begin to burn for him. Like, come on. He, his passion, he is not stoic and mad and like, just get over lost. It's not that. He's a jealous lover and he doesn't want to share you. He doesn't want to share you. Oh. You're the apple of his eye. You're chosen. You're set apart. You're his beloved. You're what he thinks about as numerous as the sand on the sea are his thoughts towards you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He's jealous for you. It's not about right and wrong and naughty and bad. It's about love. But listen, love. Love has an impact. Love brings about transformation. Love, it penetrates the depths of who you are and it awakens you. But lust steals, lust robs, lust destroys. Lust comes to take. If you're in lust and walking in lust, then you're looking at others taking from them for you because it's so centered on you and what you can possess. Love is not like that. Love gives. Love is sufficient. Love sources. Love provides. Oh. I know it's after 12. I'm going to land it. Just two techniques that have helped me. Um, some of you, you've got to starve yourself. You can't feed this thing anymore. You've got to starve it. It starts with an hour, and it starts with hours, and it starts in a day, then a day turns into two days, four days, a week, two weeks, a month of you starving these. Your banks have been breached. Your sexuality is a river, and it is a strong river. But when you're lusting and committing porneo and drinking from this, there's breaches in your levy and your sexuality is flooding out into places it doesn't need to flood out into. And when you starve your eyes, your levees are restored and your sexuality starts to flow in the place that it was designed to flow. Single people included. There's a grace that you'll find. You starve your eyes. How do you starve your eyes? You bounce them. Listen, you were created to respond to beauty. There's beautiful people. 
There's beautiful things. But when we attempt to possess beauty for ourselves, that's when we get into trouble. And so acknowledging, maybe there's something that you would be attracted to, acknowledging that but bouncing your eyes from it and not owning it for you. It's a bouncing technique. You've trained yourself to own those images and thoughts. You can untrain yourself. I have really good news. It's called the renewing of the mind. But it begins with you protecting your eye gate. It's just protecting your eye gate, protecting what you see, protecting what you feed yourself with your eyes is so, so crucial. felt like for women specifically, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to end. We're going to read Psalms 24 and ending. I felt for women specifically, um, it, it's not, it, it sometimes isn't as much about sexuality as it is um, just an alternative reality. I was talking about this last night. Like we, we, can, we can envision and imagine things. Like I think it's why romance novels and fantasy novels and all that stuff, it just plays with your emotions and creates this fantasy realm and we do that oftentimes with our eyes by looking at someone and what they possess and what they have and what life must be like for them. And man, they must have it all together. And it's just like, man, that ain't that. That ain't what you think it is. It's just not. It's different than that for them. But all of a sudden you make up a false narrative that you're projecting because of what you're seeing. And then you start living from that and projecting it upon everything else. And then you find yourself isolated and upset and hurt because you created up these false narratives internally. It's just this fantasy world that's yuck. Yay? I, and and here's, here's the thing. I, I'm ending here. The, 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 the harlot-Jezebel deal, it's after forerunners. Jezebel was after Elijah. And Jezebel, that spirit of Jezebel, is what killed John the Baptist. John the Baptist was killed because a woman did a strip tease before a king. And she asked her mom what... The mom wanted, and because John the Baptist called out the immorality that she was living in with the king, she said, I want his head. Severed his head. And I just want you to see that this thing that's coming against you, it's not coming against you just because you struggle with your sexuality, you struggle with lust. It's coming against you because you're called to be a forerunner and one burning for your generation. And it's just time to, it's time to take our place as that generation that will live above compromise, we will consecrate ourselves and start getting radical about our sexuality.